Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Please stand as you are able for the reading of our first lesson, which comes to us this morning from the first book of Corinthians, in the 15th chapter, verses 12 through 22. Listen now for God's word. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and, you're, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson from the Gospel of Mark in the 16th chapter. The first eight and I would propose the only eight verses in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Listen to the Word of God. Speak to your heart, to your mind, to your life today. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. 
There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Christ is risen. That was pretty good. Let's try again. Christ is risen. And on this high and holy day, everything has changed. Everything has become new. Life has defeated death. Light shines out of darkness and has not and will not overcome it. Our sins are forgiven. We are made new. Everything has changed. This has never been more clear to me than those people who normally sit in the balcony are now on the front row. (laughs) Welcome! (laughs) One of our members told me this story and said, you may want to use this, and I'm going to, for good or for ill. The person told me a friend was in, in front of of her going out of church on an Easter Sunday and the preacher was standing at the door greeting the worshipers as they left the worship service and the preacher grabbed my friend's hand in front of me and pulled him to himself saying brother we need you to join the army of the Lord and my friend replied I am already in the army of the Lord pastor to which the the preacher questioned then how come I only see you on Christmas and Easter my friend leaned in and whispered back, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> well, what, whatever branch of the service you are in, welcome. Welcome. Now here comes the spoiler alert. I don't have anything new to say. You've already heard it. If you've been in a church at any point in your life, you've already heard this story that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In fact, it's the same news that we hear today that was shared 2,000 years ago when early on the first day of the week, as Mark tells us, three women went to anoint the body of Jesus with spices to give Him a proper burial because they were not able to because the Sabbath had already begun the evening of Jesus' death, which begins the Jewish Sabbath. And so early on that morning, they go to anoint the body of Jesus who had been crucified for crimes that He did not commit to anoint his dead body that had been buried in that tomb over which a large stone had been rolled. This is the same news that from that tomb, Jesus got up from death and walked out of the tomb. That is the news that we hear today, that we celebrate today, and because of this fact, Because of this act of our sovereign God out of His great love for us, the world has never been nor will be the same. We ourselves are not the same. We will never be the same because of this news. 
And for those of us who by faith, who have been given the gift of faith from our gracious God, believe that this story is true and have accepted and received Jesus Christ as conceived, as born, as beaten, as crucified, as dead, buried, and raised, and reigning as Lord, we are changed, we are new. We will never be the same again. We are not just good people, as C.S. Lewis has said. We are new creatures. And now that we are changed, now that we receive this good news, who is it that we are going to tell? But first let me ask you this question. Who shared with you this story, this good news, the first time? Was it your mother or your father? Was it a grandparent? Was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Who shared with you this incredible story? When did you receive it? And when did it become your story? And who are you going to tell this story? It's an incredible thing that we are asked to do. This earth-shattering, this world-altering, this paradigm-shifting news of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The victory of life over death. It's kind of hard to wrap our minds and our hearts around. It was difficult for the women who went to the tomb. I think that's one of the reasons that I love Mark's Gospel and his account of the resurrection of Jesus because it is so raw, it is so real, it is so bewildering, it seems so true, it has the ring of truth to it. And it ends so abruptly. The reaction seems so authentic that upon hearing that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has been raised, has gone ahead of them, tell the disciples and you will see Him as He promised you. And Mark ends his resurrection account in mid-sentence. They left the tomb and told no one. For they were afraid. I can almost imagine I would be in the same place. And that's where Mark draws us in to be in that same place to hear this news. Almost saying to us, this is where this story ends and now it is your story. Mark doesn't finish the story so that we can continue it. It's what we are called to do. You know, there are scholars that, that would say that uh, there, are, there are three reasons that this is why Mark's Gospel ends in this abrupt fashion. They've tried to explain it. One hypothesis is that Mark fell ill or possibly even died before he had a chance to tell all that he had yet to say. Or quite possibly that, that what, how Mark ended this Gospel was lost. The old vellum, the old papyri that, that it was written on becomes old and brittle and, and cracks and breaks and it's hard to keep it all together. And, and they lost the end that Mark had written.
Or it may just be that Mark indeed intended to end it mid-sentence with a divine ellipsis the end of his account. But the writers of the Gospel, the ones who recorded the earliest manuscripts that end at verse 8, wanted to put other endings upon it. And if you look in your Bible, if you have one that is accurate, it will give you a shorter ending to Mark and a longer ending that will tell you that the women were not silent and told no one, but indeed they went and did the best they could to tell the disciples and that there were all kinds of amazing things in an appearance with the risen Christ and snakes being handled and all of these other kind of things. But those are not part of the original manuscript and should be noted so in your Bible. I believe that where we ended our reading this morning is indeed exactly where Mark intended to end the gospel in mid-sentence. And say, you take this story. Now you tell this story. But it's not an easy thing to do. At the men's prayer breakfast, we are following the Lenten small group curriculum that many others in our church have been using called Engage, in which that during this season of Lent, people are being asked to look at the story of the Gospel and to apply it to their own story so that understanding both in a better way, in turn, we may be ones to go and share that story. And the presenter on this particular Thursday morning at the men's prayer breakfast told us about something that happened in his life. He became very vulnerable, yet honest in what he said to us. I was having lunch at one of our local eateries on Broadway, and as I finished with my work colleagues, we walked out of the restaurant. And a man who was well-dressed and well-groomed approached me and got close to me, and he asked me a most personal question, a rather powerful one as a matter of fact. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It took me aback, he said. I did not expect to hear that from this man who seemed to be dressed as I was and groomed. He was nothing like a street pe preacher that you would imagine. And so I took, it took me a moment to gather myself before I could respond to him, yes, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I am a Christian and I seek to follow Jesus. And the man put his arm around this gentleman and said, would you come and help me tell others about him? Oh, I'm sorry, I've got another appointment. Uh, my colleagues are waiting for me. And he extricated himself from what was an uncomfortable scenario and continued on with his day. But his story did not end there. He went on to tell those gathered for that breakfast about what had transpired in his life some decades before when he met the risen Christ for himself. He said, I grew up in church. I knew the Bible, but I didn't meet Jesus until that time in my life when I had become addicted to alcohol and prescription drugs. And he went on to tell us that his wife had made him an offer that he could not refuse. As he said, the Godfather offered. And with that offer, he attended AA. 
He said it was there he met the risen Christ and found a most holy and spiritual gathering of individuals who were broken yet being made whole, who had found a power beyond themselves to do what they could not do for themselves. And for him, that power was the risen Christ. And he went on to tell us that this was the avenue that God had led him down in his life to share with others who were in a situation in which he found himself what it means that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and offers us new life. And by the same token, I believe that we are called in our own unique way with all of the incidences and experiences of of our lives to be nurtured by God's transforming grace and power to be used to tell others about this good news of the Gospel. In our places of work, in our classrooms, in our relationships, wherever the Lord may put us to share what it is we know to be true because of God's gift and His grace to us in a believing faith in His risen Son. Mark has said, this story is now your story. It's not an easy proposition for all of us. It was not an easy proposition for the women. Samuel Wells, an Anglican priest in England, writes about this text in this way when he says, this news of the risen Christ leaves the women and us filled with terror and amazement. The terror, for if He has done this to death, what will He do to us? Death took His life away and He destroyed death, but we broke His heart, pierced His soul, wounded His love, and when we see Him again, will He not punish us, hate us, destroy us? And amazement, because this is both the beginning and the end of the world. It is the end of the world in which goodness, truth, and love are trampled by hatred and violence and fear. It is the beginning of a new world where nothing is certain, not even death. Our imaginations are dizzy with what God has done. What on earth will He do next? It is the awesomeness of this news and the power of this love out of which we operate as we see God's kingdom breaking into this world's reality and breaking into our lives. How then do we live with this good news that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Not even death. So we have nothing to fear, my brothers and sisters. How then shall we live in this life? And let us know that it is not by what we do that we will be found faithful, but by what God has already done. And Samuel Wells goes on to write, God has done it, but Christianity has not agreed upon a set of conclusions about what God has done. It is a response It is our response to this good news, to this invitation, to receive it 
by God's grace to claim it and by God's power then to live it. Wells says it's not a religion of the dead, of, of the head or of the armchair, but of, of the relentless disciplines of apprenticeship. We are learning to tell the story and continue to tell the story as we follow the risen Christ. And Wells says the women make no response. They pass on no discovery about the past, no confidence about the present, no hope for the future. And their failure shocks us, and so it should. Only gradually do we understand that their failure represents our failure sometimes. And by ending in this shocking way, the gospel draws us into the story. And so we can't be silent. We won't be silent. And we want to do better. We want to follow Jesus to Galilee, to Jerusalem, to the cross, to the empty tomb, and whether, wherever He may lead us as He goes before us. And because of Easter, we can. We can tell this story. Mark says, this is where I end it. Now you finish this story. As I was thinking about our call to do this, something that I read came to mind. And I want to finish with this if my phone will pull up. My phone has been blown up with He is risen messages. I just want you to know that. So this is a story that I received as true. And you know there are a lot of stories that fly around on the internet and we don't know whether they're true or not. So I went and checked this one out. This is a true story. It happened in 2008 in Iraq. It's written by a chaplain. I recently attended a showing of Superman 3 here in LSA Anaconda. We have a large auditorium and we that we use for movies, as well as memorial services and other large gatherings. As is the custom at all military bases, we stood at attention when the national anthem began before the main feature. All was going well until three quarters of the way through the national anthem, the music stopped. Now what would happen if this occurred with 1,000 18 to 22 year olds back in the United States? I imagine there would be hoots, catcalls, laughter, a few rude comments, and everyone would sit down and yell for the movie to begin. Of course, that is, if they stood for the national anthem in the first place. Here in Iraq, 1,000 soldiers continued to stand at attention, eyes fixed forward. The music started again, and the soldiers continued quietly to stand at attention. But again, at the same point, the music stopped. What would you expect from a thousand soldiers standing at attention? What would they do? Frankly, I expected some laughter and everyone would eventually sit down and wait for the movie to start. But no. You could have heard a pin drop. While every soldier continued to stand at attention and suddenly there was a lone voice from the front of the auditorium and then dozens of voices. And soon the room was filled with voices of a thousand soldiers finishing where the recording left off. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? They sang in one accord, 
The chaplain writes, it was the most inspiring moment I've had in Iraq and I wanted you to know what kind of soldiers are serving you. And we do give thanks for our soldiers. And we do give thanks for America. But this is a story that is much larger than our own environs in our own country. It is a story to be told to the whole world that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And our risen Savior is looking for a few good foot soldiers. Are you in the Lord's army? We have a story to tell. We have a Savior to serve, and our greatest weapon is love, and the good news is life. And death has been defeated. It has been swallowed up in victory, and our victory is in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Alleluia. 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 And amen.